to the only wise God. Hallelujah. The ruler, the creator of all heaven and earth. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. I'd like to welcome everyone who has come to join us in today's Antioch Bible study. Let us bow our heads to pray. We give praise to the only wise God, the most holy, the one who sits upon his throne, who rules all heaven and earth, the one whose word is final in all the universe. Oh, we bow at your feet. We honor you, Lord. We reverence you. Yes, Lord Jesus. We ask that your Holy Spirit may teach us, instruct us, empower us, transform us into the very image of your son. To the end that the kingdom of our God will prosper in our lives and prosper through us everywhere we go. For it is in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. 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 Okay, we continue our journey to the place of his calling. And I borrow the voice of Moses in Numbers 10, 29. He said to Hobab, son of Ruel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law, we are setting out for the place of which the Lord said, I will give it to you. Come with us and we will treat you well. For the Lord has promised good things to Israel. He has promised good things to us. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, the secret to the success of Moses as a leader was that he heard from God on practically all matters. There is a fascinating story about the men who were defiled by a corpse at Passover time in Numbers chapter 9, verse 6. Now, there were certain men who were defiled by a human corpse so that they could not keep the Passover on that day. And they came before Moses and Aaron that day. And those men said to him, we became defiled by a human corpse. Why are we kept from presenting the offering of the Lord at its appointed time among the children of Israel? Verse 8, and Moses said to them, stand still, that I may hear what the Lord will command concerning you. Stay there, stay there. I'm going to speak with God now, and he will tell me exactly what you need to do. Okay? Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, speak to the children of Israel, saying, if any one of you, your posterity is unclean because of a corpse or is far away on a journey, he may still keep the Lord's Passover. On the 14th day of the second month at twilight, they may keep it. They shall eat it with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall leave none of it until morning, nor break one of its bones. According to all the ordinances of the Passover, they shall keep it. Moses, he could hear God anytime, anywhere. So that if a perplexity arose, if a serious situation arose, he would tune in 
to the all-knowing God, to the all-seeing God, to the all-present God, the God who sees yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He will tune in and he will hear exactly what God will instruct, what God will direct. Now, the Bible tells us that God Almighty, he spoke with Moses face to face. Moses had direct communion. This was revealed to us in Numbers chapter 12. The Lord came down in a pillar of cloud, <clears throat> stood at the entrance of the tent and called out Aaron, Miriam. The two of them stepped forward. The Lord said, now hear what I have to say. When there are prophets among you, I reveal myself to them in visions and I speak to them in dreams. It is different when I speak with my servant Moses. I have put him in charge of all my people Israel. So I speak to him face to face clearly and not in riddles. He has even seen my form. How dare you speak against my servant Moses? Now, what we are told here is that there is direct communication between the Lord God Almighty and the man Moses. But now, what exactly does this mean? It means that there was a conversation. Moses had conversation between God and himself. And the Lord spoke the language of Moses, one that he could understand. Oh, it reminds me of a lady. Um, we were on a flight from, um, I think it was Atlanta to Boston. And I was trying to witness to her. And I said that it is important. I said to her, it's important for, for you to hear God. He said, hear God? Hear God? Does he speak English? <laughs> and I said to her, whatever you speak, the God we serve speaks. So he will speak to you in your own language, in the language you will understand. Okay? Moses may have spoken quite a few languages. Hebrew, Egyptian, the Midianite language. Whatever language Moses was most comfortable with, that would be the language of communication between God and Moses. It is important to note why this is so. The reason was given to us by our Lord Jesus Christ in John 14, 15 to 17. He said, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. So, our Lord Jesus Christ was saying to his disciples, the Holy Spirit was with believers in God, like the prophets and the prophet kings, but he did not indwell them. He did not live in them. So they heard from God through dreams and visions. But Moses was unique in that he maintained dialogue with God, which today we shall call conversational prayer or what the Apostle Paul called the communion of the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. 
And in that regard, you can see that Moses was way ahead of his time. Now, after the Holy Spirit began to indwell believers, conversational prayer became possible. This is what the Bible calls, like I said earlier, the communion of the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. I always like to remind uh, the, the believers that uh, that scripture is not to close the meeting. It is a prayer, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, the communion, the dialogue. It says, let the dialogue with the Holy Spirit abide with you always so that you constantly in touch with heaven. It is through the communion of the Holy Spirit that we can have the divine will, God's plans, God's purposes communicated to us directly. There's a powerful illustration of this in the book of Acts. The commission of our Lord Jesus Christ to his disciples was revealed to them in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria, and then to the end of the earth. Now, the mission was mapped out. Our Lord Jesus Christ said, begin in Jerusalem, then expand to Judea, okay? And then expand to Samaria, and then expand to the uttermost part of the earth. Now, besides this, after his confession of Christ on the road to Caesarea Philippi, the apostle Peter was handed over the keys to the kingdom to unlock for the different groups, beginning in Jerusalem, and then in Judea, then in Samaria, and to the uttermost part of the earth, which represents the Gentile world. Now, this is not the doctrine that some denominations are making out of this. No, no. Peter was given that singular role, and it ended with him. Okay? Now, these symbolic keys of the kingdom given to Peter in Matthew 16, 19 was used by him to open the doors of the gospel of the kingdom of God for the Jerusalem dwellers on the day of Pentecost. Here is the key. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Now, having done Jerusalem, then came Judea after the healing of the cripple at the beautiful gate. Judea was admitted into the kingdom by Peter. Then came the turn of Samaria. When Philip the evangelist went to preach there, John accompanied Peter on this mission to admit the Samaritans into the kingdom of God. But when it came to the Gentile world, Peter needed a vision and the communion of the Holy Spirit to break away from the racial prejudices that Jews have against Gentiles. His critics were vocal as we read in uh, Acts chapter 11. You know, when Peter came back 
from his mission to the house of Cornelius, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem besieged him and criticized him. How dare you go into the home of Gentiles? Now, you and I can see the power of communion and revelation in facing opposition and criticism, okay? Now, Peter explained it all in verse four. Bible says Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance, I saw a vision, an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners. And it came to me when I observed it intently and considered, I saw four footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered me again from heaven, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now, this was done three times and all were drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, Verse 11, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Verse 12, <clears throat> then the spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he had seen an angel standing in his house who said to him, send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and all your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as on us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, if therefore God gave them the same gift, as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. Who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent. They glorified God saying, then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. Now, this is a revelation of how you and I must function on our own individual and collective journeys so that the kingdom of God will prosper in us and through us. After the vision, you know, that word that said, what God has cleansed, you must not call common. That word overrode every single one of Peter's prejudices. He said, this is God. If he says something is clean, Peter, you must say it is clean. After the vision, a clear word was spoken through the communion of the Holy Spirit. Three men stood in front of the house and the Spirit said to me, go with them. Okay, I have sent them, go with them. Ask no questions, go with them. And in that communion, the Spirit of God made a very difficult decision 
appear easy. Because you see, if Peter had paused for one moment to consider the matter, all the critics, all the um, Jewish Christians that still had their prejudices, he would never have gone to Caesarea. But with the clear word from the Holy Spirit, it will have been impossible for Peter not to go. Courage, boldness, assurance, certainty came because there was a clear word from the Lord. Hallelujah. Verse 9 says, but the voice answered me again from heaven. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. To make decisions, we too need a clear word from the Lord to point the direction in which we must go so that the purposes of God, not the purposes of our churches, not the purposes of our denominations, not the purposes of our groups, no, the purposes of God Almighty can be fulfilled in us and through us. And with that, having seen how a Christian should function on the road, on the journey. It is, it is time for us to um, visit Esther and, and, and see how she is faring on this her journey to the place of her calling to fulfill her destiny in God. Esther had a huge task, okay? And Mordecai made it clear in verse 14, for if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. And then he added, yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this, every single one of us, we need to hear that word. Who knows whether you became a, a, a lawyer, a, a, a judge, a, a doctor, accountant, a civil servant, a commissioner, a, a, a special advisor. Whether, who knows that, whether God put you there to stop all the rot that is going on. See, that's why you and I, wherever God has placed us, we need to spend time thinking, how can I show the light of the life of Jesus Christ in the place where I am? That's why they put me there. That's why he opened the door. Oh, I remember. <laughs> I remember. Uh, many years ago, when we began to minister and experience miracles and all kinds of um, uh, um, mir uh, miraculous interventions by God, many people got so excited. I was one of them. And we were seriously considering um, abandoning um, medical school to go and preach. You know, in fact, what we used to say is, you know, you spend all these years learning and you can't even heal anybody. But with anointing, just lay hands and, and, and people are healed totally. <laughs> well, we, 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 we 
We're growing up in this. And the Lord sent Pastor Elton to us, you know, and he said, he said to us, I can never forget, he said to us, if God opened the door, okay, for you to come in here, then he cannot change his mind midway. God isn't like that. You have to finish and then go to the next thing. And I immediately could identify with that because I came to university soon after the war. And in that ex entrance exam into prelim, May 1970, we were told that there were 10,000 of us vying for 120 chances. So if Pastor Elton said God opened the door, I could identify with that, you know, because if you got one chance out of 10,000 in a place, one, one of 120 chances, you know, out of 10,000 people vying for it, ah, it must be God who opened the door. It must be God who opened the door, particularly because we just came out of the war. We haven't been to school for, for almost three years. So, so, so Esther, uh, Mordecai was saying, how did they, an orphan, a slave girl become a queen? Ah, there must be a reason. There must be a reason. And that's what you and I and everyone, particularly if you're born again, wherever God placed you, oh God almighty, begin to say to yourself, Lord, you didn't put me here for nothing. There must be a purpose and I want to fulfill it. Mordecai was saying to Esther, they didn't, they didn't just bring you here, an orphan girl, you know, a slave girl. They didn't just bring you here. So you can powder your face and look pretty for the queen, for the king rather. No, this may be the reason. And indeed, I identify with that because the Jews, the, if the man, like I said the last time, if the man had wanted to kill Mordecai, the matter would have, have, have been different. But to kill all the Jews, ah, that was going to go into the covenant. Okay. This just might be the purpose, Mordecai said, for quick the Lord God Almighty elevated you to be queen. So, as we saw last week, Esther said, okay, let's go, but fast for me, fast for me. Okay. For three days, and then I will go and see the king. And she made that commitment. She made that commitment that I, we were talking about last week. Total commitment. And if I perish, perish. I perish. Total commitment. And you remember that we said that that is the commitment we must bring to our Christian life. Let come with me. If I perish, I perish. But I must love the Lord. I must serve the Lord. I must obey the Lord in my life. Let come what may. You know, that's why, you know, remember that song in, in the SU in those days. I live for Jesus. Day after day, I live for Jesus. Let come what may. The Holy Spirit, I will obey. I live for Jesus. Day after day. A lot Jesus Christ taught us in his life that unless we make a total commitment, the purposes of God cannot be fulfilled because he set the example. 
He made a total commitment to our salvation. And he took whatever came. He hung on that cross and said, Eloi, Eloi, le bactini. And then when it was all over, he said, it is finished. And yeah. he gave up the ghost. So after the fast, what next? What we learn from the scriptures is that a fast cannot be an end in itself. Because these are all spiritual uh, uh, exercises. Ex fast cannot be an end in itself. I cannot presume that a fast is an answer to all my needs. So whatever the problem is, I just fast. I said, no. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. So if your fasting does not produce faith, then the purpose has failed. Because Jesus said in Matthew 17, unbelief. You couldn't do it because of unbelief. But if you fast and pray, you'll be able to do it. So the whole, the most important thing to learn when we fast is that faith must increase in our hearts. Our spiritual sensitivity, our reception of divine communication must sharpen. Okay? Esther needed to know something, okay? A time of fasting. He only positioned her to receive wisdom. In this case, she needed wisdom from God. She needed a clear strategy to follow in bringing this matter to the king. He must not give Haman. He must isolate, she must isolate Haman and then not give him an opportunity to counter her, okay? So when you think about it, in retrospect, Esther had multiple dimensions of help that she needed to be able to execute this faultlessly. That's why we need God, that's why we need God you and I, you cannot, you cannot say that I know exactly, you know, uh, uh, um, how, it's, how it should be, how it should go. And that's why, you know, uh, uh, Pastor Etting used to tell us that uh, when you pray, you know, and, and, and you're really seeking revival, then the wind starts blowing. And he said that when the wind starts blowing, it starts it start messing with your order. All your organization, all your cut out ways, you know, you do this and not the other. Some people, when they pray, they must pray in a certain way, in a certain direction, in this and this. You know, they have all these things. But when the revival comes, it will not respect all of that. But then Pastor Elton said to us, do you know what people do? When the wind starts scattering everything they have arranged, they will go and close the window <laughs> to shut out the wind. In other words, a lot of people really, they can't function in a revival, you know, because so many things will not be the way you have ordered. You know, in those are Anglican days, I could relate to that because you see, you must sing the first hymn and then you say the prayer of confession. Then you, say, you sing the Benedictus. Then you sing the Tidium Laudamus. You know, we have our order. And then you say the Apostles' Creed, you know. So, so, so even without going to church, you, you can tell over 70% of what they did there, you know. But, but it's the same thing too. 
Besides knowing that strategy, the second thing was the timing, okay? She must choose a time that is most favorable where the king will be disposed to receive her, okay? And delight in her. Then she also needed to adopt a strategy that would be so unsuspecting to Herman that you would naturally be fooled by the disguised honor of the king and now the queen also. So let us take a look at how she proceeded after the fast. Esther 5, 1 to 8. Now it happened on the third day that Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the king's palace across from the king's house. While the king sat on his royal throne in the royal house, facing the entrance of the house, so it was. When the king saw Queen Esther standing in the court that she found favor in his sight. And the king held out to Esther the golden scepter that was in his hand. Then Esther went near and touched the top of the scepter. And the king said to her, what do you wish, Queen Esther? What is your request? It shall be given to you up to half the kingdom. So Esther answered, if it pleases the king, let the king and Haman come today to the banquet that I have prepared for him. Then the king said, bring Haman quickly that he may do as Esther has said. So the king and Haman went to the banquet that Esther had prepared. At the banquet of wine, the king said to Esther, what is your petition? It shall be granted you. What is your request? Up to have the kingdom, it shall be done. Then Esther answered and said, my petition and request is this. If I have found favor in the sight of the king, and if it, is, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, then let the king and Haman come again to the banquet, which I will prepare for them. And tomorrow I will do as the king has said. Now, as we read Queen Esther's strategy, we see immediately, we see immediately that she had help from above. The king was anxious to know what was the matter which is beautiful queen. But Esther would not be immediately forthcoming. He allowed the king to entertain a bit of anxiety about what exactly was on the mind of his queen. That must have led to a state of heightened expectation, a curiosity as to what exactly the matter was. As for Haman, he was elated beyond measure that his fortune in the kingdom was rising higher and higher. He did not suspect in the very least that there was anything the matter. Now, as we journey to a rendezvous with destiny in our own lives, 
We need the wisdom and counsel from God Almighty. On the many decisions we must make along the way to take us not just to the place of our calling, but to take us traveling his own path to our destiny, not our own path, his own path to our destiny. Esther needed to be cool. She needed to be calm. She needed to be quite subtle about her real intentions. Haman must not suspect in the very least that there was anything the matter or anything to worry about. You see, when, when we talk to God, you know, when we talk to God about everything, we will be so, so surprised, you know, about the way he will ask us to walk. I've shared this um, in some uh, groups about raising children. I remember when I was raising children. Sometimes, you know, the child would do something and I would pick up the cane because I kept cane. I, I would pick up the cane and then the Holy Spirit will whisper to me, there is nothing to cane here. There is nothing to cane. <laughs> so now that's how my children can say, Daddy, you cane me. Um, this one will say um, one, one time. This one will say two times. This one will say three times. I say, ah, you people, I tried though. They cane me over a hundred times. <laughs> but it was the Holy Spirit that kept saying, there is nothing to cane here. Just correct the child. There is nothing to cane here. You know, you know when you grew up in that old school, spare, uh, spare the rod and spoil the child. You know, you, you, are, you are tempted to always overreact. You know, to always see every single deviation as a, as a, a child uh, uh, getting lost. Yes, sir. Yes, you sir. Know, you know, and, 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 and then the Holy Spirit will come in and say, there's nothing to, to, to you know, to came here, no, there is not. And, and, and all the time you're getting that help and you know, it's raising families. I tell people, you haven't been that way before. You know, you haven't been that way before. At least most of us, you know, haven't been that way before. So you, you need the counsel of the Lord at every point. So a lot of people might think, oh, I only need to hear this Holy Spirit when I want to change jobs, when I'm trying to do an investment. I said, no, we need the Holy Spirit all the time, all the time. I, I remember sometimes you'll be in the traffic, you'll be in the traffic, and it will be standstill. And having, having been in such traffic before, when you get to the end of it, you'll be asking yourself, so what was the problem? You don't see anything. But now when you have seen it, you know that somebody can hit somebody, and the two of them will stand in the middle of the road there. They won't even clear their motor to the side. They will stand in the middle of the road, arguing. And then for the next half an hour, the cars will just pile up behind them. And then the Holy Spirit will say, why don't you pray for that spirit that is in them fighting to just leave them so you can move? Ah, five minutes later, we start moving, you know. And, 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 and you will realize that we need God. We need God because he knows and sees what's going on all around us. So, our Lord Jesus Christ taught us that we must reach out to heaven to obtain 
both wisdom and strategy on how to proceed on every matter, under every circumstance. He gave it to the disciples in a nutshell, in Matthew 10, 19. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. Our Lord Jesus was saying, the Holy Spirit will be available to tell you exactly how to handle the situation. And in verse 24, it is not you who will be speaking, but the spirit of your father, he will be speaking through you. That's awesome. Every Christian needs to grab that with two hands. I need to have the spirit speaking through me in every situation, under every circumstance. I need to have the spirit speaking through me. And for us as believers in our Lord Jesus Christ, post-resurrection, it is the indwelling Holy Spirit that must lead the way through everything we are going through, giving us the communion that will provide the wisdom, the strategy, and all that we need to do to achieve the expected and ordained goal. Amen. We must know, everybody must know, that it takes a simple prayer of faith to yield the control of every situation to the indwelling Holy Spirit. Very simple. Spirit of the living God, I depend on you entirely. Please guide me. Speak to me. Tell me exactly what to do. Very simple conversation or conversational request. And the moment we yield control to him, we must henceforth listen deep in our soul for his communication. Sometimes, Okay, you, you, you need this on the road. Esther's strategy worked. The king was anxious. Haman was excited. And the die was cast. That purse allowed heaven to insert a missing link. The king's gratitude to Mordecai, as you shall see subsequently. The king remembered that Mordecai did not receive any honor after he uh, revealed that there were mutineers at the palace gate who wanted to kill the king. But let us uh, uh, pause a moment quickly to go and visit Haman and his gallows, you know, prepared ostensibly for his final push against Mordecai. Now, Esther 5.9 says, so Haman went out that day, joyful, with a glad heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate and that he did not stand or tremble before him, he was filled with indignation against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home. And he sent and called for his friends and his wife, Zeresh. Then Haman told them of his great riches the multitude of his children, everything in which the king had promoted him and how he had advanced him above the officials and servants of the king. Verse 12, moreover, Haman said, besides, Queen Esther invited no one but me to come in with the king to the banquet that she prepared. And tomorrow, 
I'm again invited by her along with the king. <laughs> Yet, verse 13, all this avails me nothing. So long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. Then his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, let a gallows be made, 50 cubits high. And in the morning, suggest to the king that Mordecai be hanged on it. Then go merrily with the king to the <laughs> banquet. And the thing pleased Haman. So he had the gallows made. Now, very quick, briefly, let us carefully examine the character of Haman. Okay? He was honored by the king. By the order of the king, was held in high honor in the kingdom. Okay? He was presumably held in high honor by the queen, who specially asked that he accompany the king to her special banquet. But despite that, he was ready to throw caution to the wind and go after one man who could not join in his applause for whatever reason. He restrained himself and went home to serve a cold and calculated revenge for Mordecai. And for that, he needed counsel. We learn from him and then never to surround ourselves with yes men and women and people who will always concur with every idea we raise, no matter how ridiculous or how unjust. Nobody had the sense to say to him, please be content with the honor of the rest of us and leave this Mordecai alone with his weird religion. Instead, they inflated his ego, his ego by encouraging him to seek to humiliate and kill Mordecai for his affront. Verse 13 tells us that he thought of him, what he thought of himself. He said, yet all this avails me nothing. Even though I have all this honor, you know, I, I, really, I really don't count them as important. So long as I see this Mordecai, that Jew sitting at the king's gate, I, I need to deal with him. The honor of the king and the supposed honor of the queen do not mean much unless Mordecai was humiliated and killed. You see, when you see people, you know, beginning to think like this, you know that their position has gotten into them. You know, their position has gotten into them. They're drunk with the power of their position. And no Christian should allow themselves to enter into that type of spirit. Because every position that God places you and I in is an opportunity to bring glory to him. Not to bring glory to self. That's why our Lord Jesus Christ said that the primary, you know, I was sharing with a group of people the other day. I said that all of us have different callings, but we have the same purpose. Oh, yes. And that purpose is to bring God glory. Whatever we are, we are called to do, make sure God, God is glorified. And it's in the pursuit of that glory that the Holy Spirit is with us, that the provisions of God is with us, that the counsel of the Lord is with us because he receives the glory. That's why when, when Judas left in John chapter 13, verse 30, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. Judas left to betray him. He said, now is the son of man glorified. Now God is glorified in him and then God will glorify himself through him. It's amazing. But this man, all he was talking about 
is himself, his own honor, his own glory. And you, you and I can easily see that if you have that kind of mindset, sooner or later too, you come to a, 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 an end you will not uh, like. A, a 75 feet wooden stake was to ensure that from afar, that people can watch what it means to dishonor Haman in the kingdom. So he chose the 75 feet uh, uh, gallows to hang Mordecai. So from every part of Shusha, you know, people will see him. Ah, who is that man? Ah, that's the man that didn't bow to Haman. Be careful, oh. Try him. An inflated ego can be ruinous in many ways. It is pride in what we have and pride in what we seek, ever waiting triumphantly to say, I've taught you a lesson. So now nobody will dare me again. Because a lesson that must be taught so clearly that will be followers of Mordecai will think twice before joining him to dishonor Haman, no matter their convictions. Now from Haman, therefore we learn to stay away from seeking more and more and striving to receive and gain more and more. The Bible tells us in Hebrews 13, 5, let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. From him and we learn never to plot evil for another. So we don't end up falling into the pit we dug for another. Mm. One man that does not acknowledge and respect us from millions that do should be quite insignificant. And not even only that, you never noticed him. You never noticed that Mordecai wasn't uh, 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 bowing. It was his, his uh, uh, jealous uh, uh, fellow guards that came to tell you, watch out for that Mordecai. All of us will bow, he won't bow. So something that you never noticed is incensing you so much that you are getting ready to commit wickedness and evil. Esther's journey continues. But let us learn from, Mordecai, uh, from Haman that when God elevates us, we must remain humble. And may the spirit of Christ ever continue to control us. Amen. 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 Uh, doctor, thank you very much for, for that. Um, one thing I'd like you to highlight for us is just this turn-by-turn -turn navigation of the Holy Spirit in fulfilling the will of God in our lives. Yes. Um, I think the, the greatest... Uh, help you and I will receive on that is that mindset, you know, which, which I took from Joshua uh, chapter three, when the elders came to the children of Israel say, and said, the ark is going to enter the water. Okay. Keep a distance between you and the ark, but follow the ark. And then he said to them, he gave them the reason. He said, you have not been this way before. Everybody, you have not been through life before. Every day is new. Nobody has been to today before. We are all new to it. 
And that's why we need, oh, we need the Holy Spirit. Don't say that uh, something is too simple, something is too inconsequential to seek the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Oh, you can never really say. You can never really say. A, a friend of mine told me how um, her father passed. He passed eating conflicts. He choked on conflicts. Now, somebody will say, do you also have to ask God for a breakfast? Can you imagine if he did? He would have eaten yam or a bad that morning, and he would be alive. You know? So, so nobody should say something is too inconsequential, is too insignificant. Keep a running dialogue with God on everything. On everything, as much as you're able. Because errors... Somebody might say, oh, even if you make an error, it's insignificant. Nobody can tell. Nobody can tell. And so um, um, we call it conversational prayer. And by the way, I have a book out there on that, Pathway to Conversational Prayer. And I wrote it for that purpose, to help people hear God for themselves so that um, um, they will bring some steadiness to their decisions and to their works. And they will see that decisions they made, uh, God made for them, when, when it unfolds, they'll be amazed and they will know that there is no way I could have made such a decision myself because I don't have the advantage of knowing what the future holds. So I encourage everyone to do so. Seek to hear God. And if you have issues, take, look, at, look for that book. It's available on Amazon. We also have it on my website, you know, Pathway to Conversational Prayer. Yes. Just as a, just as a follow-up, sir, is there, an, is, there, is there a posture? Is it an openness? Because you know, there are times when, for instance, when you have big decisions, yes, you are prayerful and you are listening out for the Holy Spirit, you know, but like you talked about raising children, most of us take it for granted. So how do we not... No, um, it's, it's, it's a training. Everybody has to train themselves that I, I really can't make these decisions, you see, because um, I, was, I was sharing this in a certain group. I think it was um, full gospel, you know, many years ago. And I said how people have alienated their, their children because they're not sensitive to the Holy Spirit. You know, you're doing things. You don't know how badly it's hurting the children, you know, and, and you are not able to, to self-correct because you don't have a guide that is seeing into, into the long-term effect of what you're doing. So, so we need the Holy Spirit for everything, particularly in raising children, because if you have more than one child, you have to know that each child is different, okay? I, 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 I had help from my children. Well, once you once you open your mouth in our house and say, why can't you do like so and so? Ah, you see them. <laughs> Daddy, don't compare me. You don't compare me. Uh-huh. So we 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 learn a lesson that you don't compare people because you won't like it too. You know, when they compare uh, uh, you. The, the, I heard the story of a boy that uh, 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 um, the, the, uh, the father said to him, Why can't you be like these other people that are this? And the boy said, Daddy, I've been waiting to say the same thing to you. Why can't you be like these other people? 
<laughs> you know, exactly. when we were growing up, children don't talk, but yes. nowadays they talk. Why <laughs> <laughs> can't you be like Dangote? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you are comparing me with somebody. So you realize that it's not a good thing to compare people. You know, and then the Holy Spirit will be using all these things to remind you, say, don't do that now, don't do that now, don't do that now. So at the end of the day, you have a great relationship with your children. You know, you, you, you have you bonded as much as you're able. And, 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 and you realize that, you know, it's all because of the Holy Spirit, you know, cautioning you, warning you, redirecting you. Wow. Thank you. Thank you, doctor. You know, it's a, this, this matter is a, is a recurrent one because we live life on the fly, you know, which so essentially you said, like you said, it's training. Oh, yes. Everybody has to be trained. And you only train by determining to do it that way, to let the Holy Spirit um, guide and direct. Thank you very much, doctor. Can you give us a, a, a yeah. prayer? So okay, shall, shall we pray? Lord, we are so grateful that your word is life. We pray, oh God, that as we have shared your word, may your Holy Spirit implant your word in our hearts, that Amen. we may be hearers and doers. Lord, Amen. the desire of our heart is that your kingdom prosper in our lives, prosper in us and through us, so that the world may see you and hear you through us. This is our heart's desire. And Lord, I pray for everyone under the sound of my voice that your spirit may quicken their hearts and that the communion of the Holy Spirit will be established in every heart that your kingdom may prosper. For it is in Jesus' precious name we have prayed. Amen. Amen. Amen.